And hello and welcome to this special Memorial Day edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. And you can find me, as always, on Twitter at JakeJakeNY, Facebook at JakeNovak, N-O-V-A-K. Twitter is the place to follow me for minute-by-minute, often minute-by-minute updates and analysis on stories that you have seen and perhaps even more importantly, the stories you haven't seen. Um, and that is the uh, good segue. That is a good segue for the beginning of this program today because there has been a an important brewing story that just keeps getting m- mounting higher and higher uh, over the last several weeks and a little bit more than a month now, actually. Um, that is not getting a lot of attention. That is not getting enough attention. And uh, I want to bring it to you. And that is what has been going on in Iran just in the last, I'd say, month and a half. And how clearly this should help us to understand what's really at play, uh, not only in the, in, a, in the Middle East, but in our own domestic politics. And it is not completely unrelated to, obviously, the continuing number one story throughout the world, which is the COVID-19, coronavirus, Wuhan virus, China virus, whatever you want to call it. Um, just a little bit of background. The last time we spoke extensively about Iran on this program here on Novak Now was during the brutal and, and deadly riots and response to the riots and protests in, that began in November and stretched all the way through Jan, in, into January, November 2019, stretching all the way into January of this year, where economic conditions and dictatorial conditions in Iran spurred yet another massive protest movement. There have been a number of them just in the last couple of years. But this was the most, uh, this was the biggest protest movement. This was the most extensive. And this triggered the most brutal crackdown on, on the part of the Iranian government. Using some of their military, using some of their secret police to arrest and kill thousands of people of their own people. And that, of course, was a major story that, that we talked about a, a number of times here in the Nahum Siegel Network that, again, I felt, and many of us felt, proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that Iran is a regime that cannot be dealt with. If you have a regime that's killing thousands of its, thousands of its own people, then their ability to come to the table internationally and deal with non... with foreigners, you know, to them, foreigners... Is minimal. This this should be one of those things they teach in in foreign policy school, <laughs> in foreign policy classes, or in diplomacy. If you have this, there should be a certain percentage or a certain number or a certain type of repression, murder, false incarceration, all that kind of stuff that a regime does. And if they do that, then as a country that 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 is hoping to negotiate with them or deal with them in some way, that should as, as that number rises as the as the number of, of of murdering of their own people as the number of incarcerations the other a brutality rises the chances for a deal with them become smaller and smaller it's it's an inverse relation relationship now we know that obviously based on things that we've learned from Nazi Germany from the Soviet Union uh and and China i mean china is as effectively has one to two million of its own citizens under in, in a concentration camp, the, the Uyghur Muslim population. And, of course, they, ha- they repress their own people, and there's a lot of uh, state... They have a tremendously high number of executions every year in China. Um, 
And our ability to be able to negotiate successfully with countries like that diminishes by the day. So when those protests came about, and there had been other protests, there had been a massive protest at the beginning of 2018, at end of 2017 going into 2018, and that was a lot of people recognized that protest as the protest of women refusing to wear the head covering type of protest. Obviously, that, that was only one part of it, but that was, the, that was the part of it that caught, I think, most of the world's attention. Um, and that was brutally suppressed as well. But this, but this last protest wave that hit in November and went all the way into January was clearly the most brutal. Um, we really, it seems like everyone has kind of dropped the ball. At first, we, we, there was, uh, we were starting to get real numbers of how many Iranian people were killed by their own government. And it was getting into the thousands. These were people out in the streets protesting. And on social media, through some people who were pretty smart and were able to get video out from behind of the Iranian censors and the Iranian shutdown of their, of their internet, we started to see videos of people being shot and being beaten and attacked uh, as they were protesting e- even peacefully. So we saw some of that. But then it, it fell off the wayside. It, was, it, it does seem like a combination of two things happened. The first thing that happened is that the Iranian government was successful in suppressing the protesters. However, brutally, they did it. It, it, it seemed to have worked. And, and listen, that happens. You have armies and tanks going. If, if, if there is a political will, you know, if you're not in a democracy and a government can, can do things with impunity and they're dealing with a largely unarmed public, then they can get away with stuff like this. So that's, uh, that's the first part. And the second part is, of course, the coronavirus started to hit. Iran. Iran was one of the first countries to get hit by the coronavirus, which at the time, I think, proved beyond a shadow of a doubt how much China and Iran are, how closely they are working together on a number of things. There are a lot of Chinese nationals and a lot of Chinese government officials and just regular even Chinese people working in Iran, working on their infrastructure, working on military projects. God knows what else they're working on, stuff that is probably heavily against international law. I don't think it's a coincidence that Iran was one of the first countries where the Chinese Wuhan virus got a, got a, got a beachhead, established a beachhead. There's no, there's no surprise to me on that. But once that started to happen and there were massive I- infection rates in Iran, and almost everyone agrees that whatever the official death toll that Iran has given out as to how many people die have died so far from coronavirus, I think we're all in agreement that that, um, that number is not not real that it's been under that it's been under the uh that it's been un- undercounted um anyway the the fact is the um the fact is is that Iran has that problem going now and so that is where we left off we we left off talking about Iran in that context that they had had this massive protest movement that the Iranians had brutally suppressed it and this is at least the fourth major protest movement in Iran that we know about since 2009. You may recall that shortly after Barack Obama was elected president, a major protest movement began in Iran. It was not brutally suppressed as much as this most recent protest movement, but it was the first massive protest movement in Iran since the Iranian Revolution of 1979. It was really a nationwide protest movement calling for democracy. And there, was, there were uh, one or two very short, terse, 
almost meaningless statements from from the new then newly elected president Obama about the protests, sort of calling on Iran to listen to the people. But there was no follow up to that. And then we had that other protest movement. Uh, there was one other s- small one during the Obama presidency. And then there were these two massive events since President Trump has become president, and President Trump has spoken out regularly about it. And of course, he's done more than speak out about it. Of course, his administration very early on removed us from the Iran nuclear deal, imposed new economic sanctions on Iran. And uh, then we still had this massive other protest because Iran, the people, the argument of the people, this is not my analysis here. I'm just telling you what the, what the people of Iran were saying during this last brutal protest uh, movement again, pr- brutal suppression of the protest movement, but the, that's very, very major, massive nationwide protest that at the end of last year coming into this year. What they were saying was, we have these sanctions on us from the United States because of the terrorism and the foreign wars that Iran is sponsoring. Let's stop doing that. This is what the protesters were saying, and I'm not even, I'm not even putting words in the mouth. They, they said it actually much more bl- bluntly than I am right now. But they were saying, stop spending all this money on foreign wars. They even said, stop giving money to Palestine and Jerusalem. Stop giving money to the Palestinian terrorists. They said that. This, is, this was a common chant during these protests. Stop giving them the money and, give it to, and start keeping it here. And then not only will we have whatever money we still have left in Iran going into our own economy, this is what the protesters were, were arguing, but then the United States and the other nations that are sanctioning Iran economically will stop doing that, and then we'll get even more money. This is what the protesters wanted. This is what they wanted, and they started calling their supreme leader, Ayatollah Khamenei, the dictator, death to dictator, which was something that they said actually in the 2017-18 protests as well, which was a stunning thing to hear. They were burning pictures of him. We saw a video of that. So the Iranian people have really spoken up, and they've said the issue of sanctions and the issue of Iran's economy is not the United States' fault. They weren't cursing the United States. They weren't saying death to America or death to Israel. They were saying death to our own dictators, death to our own leaders who have brought this economic hardship upon us. And even in the face of this economic hardship, they have been spending the money elsewhere anyway. And that's what I want to talk about in today's edition of Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I want to talk about some examples of how Iran not only has continued this outside spending, even with the economic sanctions still in place, and even now with the COVID-19 Wuhan virus decimating much of the country. This is what Iran has been up to just since April. And I'm going to list these items because, again, I don't think, I think there's a very good chance that many of you listening have not not heard of any of it. And that's not an attack on you. Because the news media, especially the American news media, has not been covering it. I think the Israeli news media has done a pretty good job of covering all these developments. But if you're not reading that regularly and you're not seeing that regularly, you're not noticing what's going on. So let's start with what happened in April. In April, on April 22nd, 2020, Iran launched a military satellite. I don't think I need to tell you that launching a military satellite isn't cheap. I don't know how many people in Iran could have been fed with that money. I don't know how many COVID-19 treatments or tests could have been bought with the money that they spent on that launch. But it's certainly a large number. So in the midst of an economic sanctioning regime that's 
strangling the, the economy of the country in the midst of a COVID-19 outbreak, which is killing thousands of Iranian people and infecting hundreds of thousands of Iranian people, Iran decides, let's go ahead and launch this military satellite. That's their priority. Keep that in mind. That was on April 22nd. That was just over a month ago. After that launch, Iran ramped up its hacking attacks on civilian Israeli infrastructure targets, most notably Israel's water supply. Now, thankfully, the Israelis tell us, and from everyone I know who lives in Israel, there, had, there was no major disruption in the water supply. So I, you can say, I guess, that this hacking attack was unsuccessful. But it was a major hacking attack. It was unprecedented because, for the most part, people are saying that attacks on civilian supplies like water and other things like that are, are not really something that, that had been done in, in the past, not even in Israel, not even against Israel, from a computer hacking standpoint. But... By the way, that costs money. The kinds of mainframe computers, the kinds of computer infrastructure, I'm not going to list all the things because I'm not an expert at hacking, so I don't want to make a mistake here. But the kind of machinery and kind of time and the people that need to be sustained to do this kind of work, it's not cheap. Again, that was another one of their priorities, even as their country is economically strangled and even as their country is suffering from the height of the coronavirus. That was another thing they did. We recently learned that over the last several weeks, Iran has been building up Hezbollah positions in Syria, building them a new base, digging new tunnels to put new weapons. It's a major, major upgrade and expansion of Hezbollah military facilities in Syria. Also not cheap. Also something that is outside of their country. And that's another thing that Iran has been up to just in the last couple of weeks. It appears that the Israeli Air Force has hit some of these targets that Iran is expanding, but have not completely taken, they've not been completely taken out, and Iran is continuing to do this. Hezbollah is Iran's terrorist arm, its foreign legion, for lack of a better word, and it is completely funded by the Iranians and by their own terrorist drug dealing and other uh, activities that they do. I'll talk more about that in a moment, because Hezbollah is a major international organization. It's almost, it's almost like a rogue corporation that, that, that deals in terrorism, but also but funds itself through other ways as well. They also had a massive naval war game exercise. This was just at the beginning of this month, the, the middle of this month, May 11th. The Iranians had a massive naval war games exercise, almost a complete mobilization of their navy. And during that naval war exercise, they made a huge error and hit a target too close to where some of their sailors were, and they killed 19 of their own people. Not celebrating that fact, just noting how it was such a big, it was such a big seri series of naval war games that they actually had something that w went off and killed their own people. So it, was a, it wasn't just like one test or one thing. They, they were doing all kinds of naval war games, very expensive, very intricate, and one of their one of their, the, 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 the targets that they hit was too close to some of their own sailors. They killed 19 of them. That's another thing that Iran has been up to just in the last few weeks. And another thing that isn't cheap. Uh, last week on the same day that was Yom Yerushalayim in Israel, Jerusalem Day, the Iranians had what they call Quds Day. This is something that Iran has been the, the worldwide national sponsor for a long time, sponsoring this idea that 
they should celebrate the fact that or, or mark the fact that uh, from what they believe, Jerusalem is under occupation. So it's basically a pro-Palestinian rally, but it's a massive rally, one where the Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei threatened to destroy Israel. They got to bring all these people out to these rallies. They got to organize these rallies. There's a lot of uh, multimedia stuff, stuff that goes on at these rallies. It's a big financial undertaking. Another thing that Iran is doing while their country is dealing with major, major problems economically and, of course, the coronavirus. And that's not all. The last thing that they, again, I'm probably missing some things but that weren't reported, but these are the things, just the things that have been reported in the last month and a half or so. Iran also is beefing up its support of Venezuela, yet another foreign country that Iran is helping out, that Iran is supporting, even as its own people are demanding that they keep that money at home to deal with their economic dire straits that they've been dealing with for years. This isn't just a coronavirus thing, right? That Iran has been dealing with major economic problems for going on three years now and has had intermittent problems before that, but let's say three years straight. Iran is sending major, major aid to Venezuela just in the, in the last week or so. This weekend, a major shipment of oil from Iran came to Venezuela. Venezuela doesn't have any money to pay for it, so this is clearly basically a gift. It's a, and in return for more influence there. And, and, and to top it all off, while they were helping out Venezuela, they threatened the United States, saying if any United States naval ships try to get in the way of this shipment or, or interfere at all in Venezuela, we will attack you. So they must have brought along some military... Uh, apparatus with them as well to go along with the shipment. And of course, that isn't cheap either. So why am I telling you all of this other than to get you updated on the news? The reason why I'm telling you about all these things that Iran is doing, not just to, again, keep you updated on the news and not just to show you how messed up the priorities are of the Iranian regime, but to put into major, major context, an important context, just how Incredible it is that there are major American leaders who continue to call for the lifting of the sanctions on Iran, and here is their argument. Now, their argument has been consistent. In other words, the goal of their argument. They've, they've been trying to get America to lift sanctions and to get Iran more money for years, even before the, the, uh, the Trump administration took us out of the Iran deal. Iran deal, even before Iran did all these other things, even before that massive protest, that brutal uh, put down of their own of their own people, even before all those other things that I've just listed that they've been up to just since the coronavirus hit in Iran. But there's been a group that has been pushing for opening up Iran and giving them more economic freedom, getting rid of all the kinds of sanctions and things like that. Now, when the coronavirus hit, these voices got even louder. And I want to focus on two specific voices that I think have been the most telling when it comes to who supports these lifting of economic sanctions. One is Senator Dianne Feinstein from California, and the other is a man named Ben Rhodes, who was an assistant national security advisor for Barack Obama, but was basically the mouthpiece for a lot of Barack Obama's foreign policy. Ben Rhodes was not a foreign policy expert when he came into the administration. I think he had a degree in poetry or, or English literature. Not that does, that doesn't mean that you can't be, become an expert in national security. I'm not saying he didn't have understanding of some of the issues. But my point is, is that his main job in, that, in, in the White House was to be a mouthpiece, was to be a spokesperson, 
to write speeches, to work the news media, which he did quite a lot of. He spent basically his entire time in the Obama administration as a mouthpiece for the Iran nuclear deal. Dianne Feinstein, who supported the Iran nuclear deal as well, has been a mouthpiece for opening up economic sanctions from Iran even well before the Iran nuclear deal ever was part of our discussion. She's been a big mouthpiece for that. Now, when the coronavirus hit, both Dianne Feinstein and Ben Rhodes went on Twitter and and used some of their other public statements and other other, uh, vehicles allotted to them to, to make public statements to say, we must now, now for humanitarian reasons, it's, it's an abomination, was a word that Ben Rhodes used in one of his tweets. It's abomination for the United States to continue these economic sanctions as Iran is struggling with COVID-19. How dare we keep their economy under, under, uh, under that big boulder or that big pressure of economic sanctions? We must slip these sanctions to help them cope with coronavirus. And what has Iran done with whatever money it has left to, to show that Ben Rhodes and Dianne Feinstein are right, that, that, that they really need to fight this coronavirus? Well, they've done nothing. They've done worse than nothing. They've spent even more money. They've launched, as again, just think of the list I just told you. They've launched a military satellite. They've expanded Hezbollah. They've held huge Kuds Day uh, celebrations. They've had massive naval war games. They've sent more oil and probably weapons and, and, and other things to Venezuela. Now, this is nothing new. This is what they've been doing ever since the sanctions began. Whatever money they have, if you give them two cents, they will spend probably more than two cents on more terrorism, more mischief, and more death. While the Iran deal was being negotiated, Iran didn't say, hey, let's, let's have good behavior, guys. Let's have good behavior so we can get these sanctions lifted. We'll deal with the nuclear situation when we deal with it. Let's have good behavior. That's not what Iran did. Iran actually ramped up its Middle East meddling and worldwide meddling even more during that time. The Syrian civil war, one of the reasons why it's been so brutal and so deadly, I think it's, you know, we're thinking between 300,000 and 500,000 people dead, is because Iran was supporting, has been supporting the Assad regime. Without Iran's support, Assad doesn't really get a chance to kill so many of his people. Now, Russia also got involved. So between Russia and Iran, Assad's had these two aces in the hole that have led to a lot of death of his own people. But that was one of the major things Iran got not only involved in, but ramped up its involvement in during this, the Iran uh, the nuclear deal negotiations. They also instigated and escalated the civil war in Yemen. The Houthi rebels in Yemen are nothing without Iran. Why is Iran interested in that? Because the Houthi rebels are fighting the Saudi-controlled government and are sometimes even attacking Saudi's mainland with rockets and things like that. They love that. They've also ramped up their support of Hamas. Hamas, through Qatar, is funded by Iran. So these are all the things that Iran was doing already. And now with the the coronavirus hitting their nation, and even in the face of a massive protest movement where the people are saying loudly and clearly they want Iran's regime to stop spending all this money on all these foreign adventures and foreign killing, they've ramped it up even more with the launching of a military satellite, which they know is in violation of a number of the promises of the Iran deal, even though the United States is out of it. They've beefed up Hezbollah to attack Israel in Syria. And they've done all those other things that I've listed. And yet, and yet, 
Diane Feinstein and Ben Rhodes continue to pound the table. They think this is a good time to lift the economic sanctions against Iran. Now, there are two explanations for what's going on here, maybe three, when it comes to the Diane Feinstein's Ben Rhodes. And there's a lot of others like them. I'm just, I'm just focusing on them in particular because they're so outspoken. In the case of Diane Feinstein, she has been a consistent apologist for Iran. When, when, when Soleimani, when Qassam Soleimani was killed by the U.S., uh, Feinstein had, you know, was basically shedding some crocodile tears. She said, oh, he was a bad guy, but I don't know if we should have killed him. That's just one example. Diane Feinstein for many years during the Obama administration, even before the Obama administration, has been someone who has publicly said, let's, let's try to be nicer to Iran. As if this is all about us. Or all about the West. Again, Iran's own people are telling their leaders and have risked their lives and have died in the streets, urging their leaders to stop being the international terrorists that they are, urging their leaders to stop with the foreign adventurism. And they've died for it. But we, in our infinite wisdom, the Diane Feinsteins and the Ben Rhodes of the world, in our infinite wisdom, we think, no, the reason why Iran is is, is, be, is doing so many bad things is because of us, because we haven't given them enough of their money, we haven't given them enough, we've given them too many economic sanctions, we haven't listened to them enough. Or we've been too supportive of Iran's enemies, they'll have the guts to say Saudi Arabia, but they also mean Israel. They're, they're taking the United States to task for supporting Israel, they say too much, and that, that's a threat to Iran, as if Iran is really threatened by Israel. If Iran doesn't want to be threatened by Israel, they should stop attacking Israel and stop su- supporting Hamas. But that would be too much to ask, apparently. Now, again, there's two explanations of this. It could just be, you know, Occam's razor. It could just be a simple case of these people are daft. Diane Feinstein and Ben Rhodes, maybe they're not so smart. Maybe they just don't see, even though they've had years and years and, and tons and tons of examples of Iran spending every penny it has, basically, to attack others and to commit terrorism and to do all those things. Maybe they just don't think. Maybe they just don't get it. Maybe they think, oh, no, the answer is just to give them more money. Then they won't spend as much money on terrorism. It's, it's a stupid conclusion, but maybe, that is the, maybe that's how they think. I think a second possibility is, think of where Ben Rhodes is coming from. This is a very young man, by the way. I mean, when he joined the Obama administration, Obama became president 11 years ago. So we're talking about a guy who was in his 20s when he got this very important job in the Obama administration to promote the Iran deal. And maybe this is, just his, this is how he defines his entire life and his entire career. The Iran deal, the Iran nuclear deal. And now that President Trump, it's been a long time now, has taken us out of the Iran deal, he feels like his entire life's work has been jeopardized, destroyed. And so no matter how illogical or no matter how destructive the argument is for him to support Iran and try to get back into this deal, even though all the facts show that Iran wasn't complying with the deal in the first place, they were still, they were still doing their nuclear, their nuclear experimentation and, and racing towards the bomb, as even the UN found uh, thanks to Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu in Israel, showing that there was another site that they had hidden from inspectors where they were mo- going full speed ahead with their, with their experimentation and their, and their research. But if you're someone like Ben Rhodes, you either come to the conclusion that you spent a long time of your life in the most exhilarating position you ever had in your career working for something that was destructive and a lie, or you just push that lie even further and just don't come to terms with reality. We're seeing a lot of that, by the way. You know, we see that with, for example, 
the results of the presidential election. People either need to come to terms with the fact that they supported a bad candidate in Hillary Clinton and didn't run a good campaign, not going to those major battleground states in the Midwest, or they come up with delusional conspiracy theories about how Russia cheated the election or something like that. We're seeing a lot of this kind of self-delusion. And the third possibility is that both people like Dianne Feinstein and Ben Rhodes are basically indirectly paid agents of Iran. I don't know if that means they're spies or if they're traitors, but I think that they've been lobbied by highly, highly paid lobbyists to support Iran, and, and they may have a financial connection to it as well. Who knows? But those are the three possibilities, and none of them are good. We're talking about either ignorance, delusion, or treason. Folks, none of these are, 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 are good solutions to, to, the, to their problems. And I want you to pay attention to what Iran has been doing, especially now. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.